Gateway. We can start making our way to our seats, please. Love the fellowship. It's great to see everybody this morning. For those joining us online, we welcome you as well to worship with us this morning. This morning, of all things, we do have a couple announcements, primarily for our visitors and some who have been attending regularly. Um, we have a two-part membership. If you guys have been interested in Gateway and want to hear more about us and get to know us a little better, uh, we have a first step uh, called Discover Gateway. It's a gathering at Pastor Grady's house with his wife, Julia, lunch at their home. It's an introduction to who we are as a church, kind of our DNA, and uh, that will take place next Sunday after the worship service. It's immediately after. All the information is on our website at gatewaybaptist.com. There's a place that you can sign up by this Friday, so you have all week to register. So we just encourage anyone in that mode of wanting to know more about us, get to know who we are. Uh, that's the first step. Very excited about our now second step in the membership process. Uh, the leadership team has been meeting and praying, coming out of our retreat. And uh, the elders uh, felt led of the Lord that we are going to offer a new foundations class uh, for new members. And that's our step two to becoming a member. We're very excited. It's going to be a four-week class on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., just before this time frame. So there's child care available. People are already here on campus. Uh, four weeks. Each week will be taught by a different elder. And it will be discussing different foundational truths of who we are, what we believe as a church, doctrine, theology, just whole sorts of different things. Very excited about this. It begins in two weeks, and that sign-up as well is on the website. But you, the first step is Discover Gateway, and coming out of that, then you would be asked to do the new Foundations Members class. So we're very excited about this and being able to sow and encourage and disciple uh, those who want to uh, pray about membership. Well, before we read the word and um, worship the Lord, I just first want to hopefully not get emotional. I um, want to extend my heartfelt thanks to all of you, uh, my faith family, for uh, standing in the gap literally between life and death for me a few weeks ago. Um, August 28th was a very traumatic experience. I told many friends and family it was worse than the heart attack that I had right there on the second row. Um, but I just thank you. You guys went to war for me. You prayed. God showed up in a miraculous way. That's why I'm here. We praise God for technology. Amen. Defibrillator. Um, it jacked me up 12 times, but didn't like it at the moment. But I praise God that it was there. Um, still continue to ask your prayers. I'm on some strong drugs. And uh, specifically ask for tomorrow, I'm heading to Birmingham to get an ablation done on my heart. Uh, to Lord willing, after that episode, they see enough scar tissue now to get in there and do some burning and to take care of some of these little areas that are sensitive. So, but my family, my wife, my kids, we're very grateful for all of you. The text, um, calls, food, you guys are amazing. So uh, God used you to move in such a miraculous way. So with that in mind, um, we're going to introduce a new song this morning. Um, I submitted one to Justin, and I'm so gracious that he uh, would do this this morning. This is a song that I've clung on to for over a few weeks, listened to it night after night and after night in the ICU, and it really brought encouragement to me and pulled me out of some dark places of doubt and fear and anxiety, and just singing this, um, 
just brought me out, and I just pray that it encourage you this morning. So thank you, Justin and team. And so if you please stand as we prepare our hearts. This morning we are going to spend some time declaring and confessing and speaking the name above every name, the name that brings healing, the name that brings transformation, the name that rescues, the name that brings conviction, the name that transforms and delivers and sets people free, the name that sends demons to flight, the name that conquers the enemy. And so we're going to sing about that name this morning. But I first want to read from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's worship that name this morning.
filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will well on his account for him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty.
Oh God, what a privilege it is to be able to worship your glorious name. God, I pray that we never take that for granted, that as we come in each week, that we can declare that Jesus is Lord, that you are God. It's places all over the world today. People are our fellow brothers and sisters worshiping and possibly being persecuted by even declaring that or saying your name or reading the word or gathering together. God, we just thank you. We are able to be in this place in the liberties and the freedoms we have to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, we pray each week, we come here in this time frame to offer petitions and to intercede for others because of the power of your name. Because you are faithful and good, you are a hope, you're trustworthy. And that's why we're here this morning, to acknowledge that, to celebrate that, and to pray these things to you to hear and to act upon them, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for our Gateway Youth. We thank you for these young men and women that you have brought to us. We thank you the opportunity to disciple them, to build community together. They have such a heart for you, Lord, and it's just so wonderful each couple times a week to be in their presence and enjoy getting to know them, to hear their heart, to be able to share their word together, some Bible studies, small groups. God, continue to draw yourself to them, continue to bring conviction 
Continue to bring them to a place of repentance. Continue to let them see you rightly, Lord, through all of the things that this world has to offer to cloud and to bring chaos and, and misunderstanding, God. Bring clarity of mind and understanding that they may know you and see you. And Lord, we thank you so much for the Gateway volunteers, the youth volunteers. We've been so faithful each week to love on these kids, to disciple them, to bring the word, to lead them in small group, to share life, to love on them. Continue to bless them as well, Lord. Give them strength and energy, and we are so blessed to have them. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for other ministries around Montgomery that's connected to our Montgomery Baptist Association. Lord, we thank you so much for Donna McCullough, who I've gotten to know over the years, and Love Loud Montgomery that she leads. This ministry of reaching out to the homeless, those that are in need, families that are struggling, those that need food, clothing, medicine, all sorts of things, God. We just thank you for her and her leadership. We pray you continue to bless this ministry, God, as they reach out to the hurting, to the lost. Continue to bring resources to them that they would need so they can facilitate the kingdom work that they're doing. And, Lord, we always thank you for the opportunity to pray for our extended family in Montgomery. So this morning, God, we thank you for Pastor Rick Evans and those at Dalreda Baptist Church. Lord, we thank you for their faithfulness. And, Lord, just knowing them personally, where my son is a youth pastor here, Pastor Rick is retiring at the end of this year, he has faithfully served you and discipled and shepherded this flock for over 25 years. We thank you for his faithfulness. We ask you, Lord, to prepare his heart as he's about to turn over, in a sense, the baton to someone else and to raise someone else up to take his place. God, we pray your blessing upon him. We pray that he finishes well. We pray that you would protect him, give him good health, and continue, Lord, to minister to that body, draw people to Dalreda getting ready for the next season and next phase that you have them about to go through with a new pastor. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for those around the world and for missionaries and situations going on. And Lord, we lift up the Oraco people of Colombia. This group of individuals have some believers, some new believers that have been saved recently and they're being trained on how to share their testimony and their salvation story among their own people groups and their native tongue. So, God, we just pray for this group of believers that they would be bold in sharing their faith with their families and their neighbors, that you would give them wisdom and strategies, and just your Holy Spirit would flow, God. As it says, when we open our mouths, the Holy Spirit will be the one who speaks. And we just pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment as they're sharing their faith. Give them hearts and ears that would be receptive to hear your gospel, and we would see a revival and a harvest among the Arhaco people. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and goodness. We are so blessed. We thank you for the offering this morning that people have given here or online. We thank you for your provision. And we ask you to just continue to bless it for the sake of our church and the kingdom work we're doing here. And Lord, we thank you so much for our shepherd. We thank you for Grady. Thank you for his love of your word, his love of us, his sheep. Pray you continue to strengthen him as he comes this morning, that he would share your word, give him strength and discernment, God. Continue to bless him. We're just excited to hear what you have for us this morning. God, we love you. We praise you. We look to you. And we thank you that we get to declare and live our lives under the banner of the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, in whose power and authority we pray these things. Amen. All right, young people, first through fourth, head out this way with Miss Nikki, and you'll be going with us to kids worship.
And so this morning we're going to come to chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. And he's going to use a construction image here for us. So as we read these three verses, be looking for what is God building and what is our role in what God is building. So what is God building, but what is our role in what God is building? So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We will also have the words on the screen for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the reminder of what CJ has already prayed and already reminded us of. There's people all over the world who cannot proclaim loudly what we have just proclaimed this morning, who do not get the privilege of holding your word and reading it. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us in your grace and your mercy to us your word, that we would know who you are, that we would have your revelation right here to read before us. As we saw last week, this is pure spiritual milk, and I pray we would hunger for it this morning, that your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us and give us a hunger and a thirst to feast on your word today, and that, Lord, that you would use your word today by the power of the Holy Spirit in dwelling us, opening our eyes to it, to continue to transform us by your grace, to make us who you desire for us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Peter's talking about something being built here. So I'm going to approach this text this morning with five questions, and they're all construction questions. And so let's look at this from a construction image this morning to help us understand and unpack the depths of what are in these three verses. So our first question this morning is, who is the architect and who is the builder? So if we're thinking in terms of construction, who is the architect who's planning this and who is the builder? Well, at the outset, these verses tell us who is not the architect and who is not the builder, and that is not me and that's not you. We are not the builders and we are not the architects in this image that we have before us. Look at verse 5 here. You yourselves, he's writing to Christians, to believers. So if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Christ, you yourselves, he says, like living stones, we're going to come back to that, are being built up. Now in the Greek language in which this was written, are being built up is a verb that is passive. That means you can't do it. It is being done to you. He's saying you yourselves are having something done to you that you are not doing. You are the ones being built up. And that makes sense in a construction image, right? If you go to a construction site, the wood frames don't stand up on their own and start walking around and assemble themselves however the wood frames want to assemble themselves. They're passive. They lay there, and the builder has to put them together. Likewise, if you go to a construction site, the bricks going up on a house do not advise the architect of what is the best pattern of how the bricks should be put together. The architect decides that, and the bricks then just go where the builders put them. So at the outset, friends, here, we are not the builders. We are not the architects. And I say that because I know I'm prone to forget that. I think we all have a tendency to forget that as we sometimes try to craft our own plans for our lives. So if we're not the builder, if we're not the architect, who is the builder? Who is the architect? And it's God. He is both the builder and the architect. Look at verse 6 here. For it stands in Scripture. Now just pause right there. Peter is quoting from Isaiah chapter 28 here. This prophecy about the promised Messiah, the promised Savior given some 700 years before Jesus came. So what is this prophecy about the coming Messiah? Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I, this is God the Father speaking, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen 
and precious. God the Father says, I am laying the stone. God the Father says, I am building something here. He's saying that I am the builder of my plan, but he's also the architect of the plan as well. Notice the imagery here for Christ, that he has chosen, that the Father chose the plan for what he's building before he even made the world. But this plan for what God is building is not something he has relegated to some contractor to go do. It's not something he's like, okay, I've got this great idea of how to redeem people, and I'll hire a contractor to go do it. It's something that he himself comes to do. The second person of God, Jesus himself, came to earth to fulfill the Father's plan, to build what the Father sent him to build. Go back up to verse 4 of our text. As you come to him, him here is Christ, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. That Jesus came and says he was rejected by men. This is just a poetic way of describing his crucifixion. That God himself came in human flesh as Emmanuel, God with us, to be rejected by those he created, to be killed at the hands of those he had made. But God's plan was not for him to stay dead. His plan was for him to be raised back to life. And so when it says he's a living stone, this again is a poetic reference to his resurrection, that he is living. He has eternal life. He has been raised back to life. So why did Christ come to be rejected by men, to be a living stone? Well, back to verse 6 again. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. Christ came to be the cornerstone. Now, in architecture at the time, the cornerstone was the first foundational piece that got put down. It was the foundation which the whole rest of the building would be built. If the cornerstone was crooked, the whole building would be crooked. If the cornerstone was not in the right place, the whole building would not be stable. The cornerstone is the foundation. So Christ came to be the foundation of all of God's plan of what he is building. And from him, everything else is aligned. From him, everything else is built upon that. So at the core, first answer to our question here, who is the architect and who is the builder? It is God himself. That before he even spoke the world into existence, he already had a plan to come and to build something. And his plan to build something is not some plan B. This is his plan from before he even created the world. And he himself, God the Son, came to do this building. That's our first question. So second question, what are the construction materials? If God's the architect and God's the builder, what is he building with? And this is where the image takes a stunning turn. If you think about God's character in Scripture, God speaks and things happen. So God could speak and create whatever materials he wanted to build with, and that's in fact what he did in creation in Genesis. He speaks and things come into existence. But here he's choosing to build something with special materials. And what are the materials? You, us, followers of Christ, all his people around the world who know him. So, so look around the room for a minute. You can stretch your neck. Look around the room. Look around the room. Yeah, this is a warehouse full of God's building materials, okay? Everyone you see who is a follower of Christ is part of his building materials. Look at verse 5 here. He says, you yourselves, and this is for followers of Christ, that if you know Christ, this is how he describes you. And notice this incredible image he uses for you if you're in Christ. He says, you yourself like living stones. Now just stop right there and don't pass over this. Go back one verse to verse 4 and notice how Christ is described here. You come to him, Christ, a living stone. Now, verse 5, you yourselves are like living stones. He's saying if you are in Christ, you are becoming like Christ. Yes, he has a resurrected body. You will one day get a resurrected body. He is eternal, and you will have eternal life with him. He is holy, and he is making you more and more holy. He is saying you are becoming like living stones, like Christ 
himself. But we need to be careful here. Because when we look at Scripture, friends, we all have a lens. We all have a pair of glasses we look at Scripture through. And in our culture, one of the lenses we often look at Scripture through is our American individualism. And we come to texts like this, and it becomes all exciting to us. Look, I'm becoming like a little Jesus. Oh, look at what God is doing for me. This text cannot be understood in individual terms. Everything here is plural. This text is not about you and Jesus. This text is not about me and Jesus. This text is about God and his plans for us corporately together. So this is not a picture of a single monolith stone. So if you ever saw 2001, A Space Odyssey, this is not the monolith stone going, wow, that's an amazing thing there. This is not about a pile of stones disorganized. This is about us as stones, as a building material, being put together by God. So we cannot understand this image in isolation. This only makes sense in terms of us together. So this is a picture for us of stones being purposely put together to do what they could not do alone. This is a picture for us, friends, of stones being purposely put together by God to be what they could not be alone. This is not a me and Jesus text. This is an us and Jesus text text. So who is the architect, the builder? God is. And what is he building with? Us. But let's clarify, us together, corporately. So number three, third question, what is God building with us together? The answer is also in verse five. Look at what he says. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now let's just stop right there. What does it mean to be a spiritual house? Well, for us, this seems far removed, because we think of a house, and you think of houses in your neighborhood. That's the image that our mind goes to. But for Peter's readers, especially those of Jewish background, this would be a clear reference to something, because in the Old Testament, the temple was often called a house. And so when Peter's early readers would read this, you're being built up, they would hear saying, you're being built up to be a spiritual temple. And we let the weight of that kick in. First of all, realize even Jesus refers to the temple as a house. Matthew chapter 21 verses 12 and 13. Jesus entered the temple. This is, you know the story well, probably. And he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now it goes on. And he said to them, now why did Jesus come in and wreck the, the, the part of the temple? It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. There was a clear imagery throughout scripture of the temple was a house. And so now I'll go back to verse 5 knowing that that's how Peter's audience would have understood this. You yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, as a spiritual temple. Now, what does that mean? Well, think about the function of the temple in the Old Testament. It was the place where God's presence was most fully known. It was the place where God was worshipped. It was the place where God's word was read and taught to people. It was the place where the world would see who God is and his character and his attributes. And Peter's saying something astounding. He said, God is the architect and the builder, building you collectively together to be the place now where his presence is most fully known, for you to be the place where he will be worshipped, for you together to be the place where his word goes forth and lives are changed, for you to be the place where the world looks and sees the glory of God. But notice something about this as the new temple, us as a new temple. He says here in verse 5 that we are a spiritual house. We are a spiritual temple. Now, what does this mean? And this is where our English translations get challenging for us. Because last week we talked about the spiritual milk we received. I told you last week the word for spiritual there was the word for logikos, for rational, reasonable, that point us back to Scripture. This is a completely different word that gets translated here, spiritual. This is the Greek word pneumatikos. This is the word for pneuma, for spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit. He's the pneuma. He's the spirit. This is the word that is used here for us. This is a Holy Spirit 
temple. This is a spirit-filled temple. He's saying that this new temple, this place that God is building of us together, was gathered together by the Holy Spirit. It was given life by the Holy Spirit. It's inhabited by the Holy Spirit. This is a new temple, different than the Old Testament temple, because it's us together that's been given life by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul tells the people in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, do you not know that you... So that you individually, you collectively are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. This is the imagery for us here in 1 Peter, that we are now God's temple. He's building a new temple for him to be worshipped, for the world to know who he is, for his word to go forth. And he's using us to make it and he's using the Holy Spirit to draw us together to be this. Now, lest we think, okay, this is great. I'm a stone. I have nothing to do. This is easy, right? I get to be the brick in the wall and just get to watch God move, and I get to take it easy. Peter doesn't let us go there, so he quickly edits the image a little bit for us in a way that confuses some people when they first look at it, going, how can you be both? Notice what he does. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual temple. There's this to be a holy priesthood. So he says, yes, you're the temple, but hey, also you're the priest who are functioning in the temple. So yes, you're the walls, you're the building, but you're also the priest who are actively serving in the temple. Now, what did the priests do in the temple? They worshiped God. They represented the people before God. They offered sacrifices. They read God's word to the people. They prayed. I want you to notice something about that. If you think about priests in the Old Testament, it required their entire lives. They were not part-time priests who worked one Sunday morning a week or one Saturday morning a week for them, and we're done. The priest was a full-time calling. And he's saying that if you are in Christ, you are now a holy priesthood. He's saying your entire life is to be consumed with serving God. He's saying that your calling as the building materials he's using for what he is building to be this temple requires your entire life, not an hour of your time on Sunday morning, but your entire life. So pull that together. What is God building One word, the church. That is what God is building here for us. This new temple is not about a physical building. This new temple is about God's people being united together so they can serve him, not an hour a week, but with all their lives all week long. It's what Jesus said he would come to build. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he talks to Peter, the same Peter who wrote this book. Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church He's the architect. He has a plan for it. The church, again, is not an afterthought. This is God's plan from before time began. He's the builder who is building it, and he promises us, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what you see happening in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Again, that's passive, is being built up by God and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's a spiritual house, a Holy Spirit called, a Holy Spirit filled house. It multiplied. So who is the architect and builder? God is. What is he building with? Us collectively. And what is he building? He is building the church. Fourth question, why is he building the church? Now, this is an important answer. Why is he building the church? Go back to verse 5 in our First Peter chapter 2 text today. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house too. Now stop right there. This is a purpose clause in the Greek. This tells you the purpose for all that's going before. So why is God building this to make us holy priests? Why to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ? The purpose of the church is for God's people to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. 
Notice that word acceptable. It's pleasing to God. Notice this. God built the church so that he would be worshiped. God built the church so that he would be pleased. God built the church to glorify himself. This takes us back to what Greg shared two weeks ago about the gospel. Friends, the gospel does not start with me or you. The gospel does not start with our needs. The gospel starts with God and his plans to glorify himself. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Now, we studied this like four years ago, so let me give us a quick refresh here. But in Ephesians chapter 1, notice how these verses begin in, blessed be, stop right there. Everything that's about to come about, what you and I gain from this is framed by God being blessed, God being praised, God being glorified. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Blessed be God to the praise of his glorious grace. All those benefits you and I get that come between verses 3 and 6 are framed by God is to be blessed and praised and to the praise of his glory. God is building the church primarily for himself. That God is not building the church so you and I have a fun weekly schedule of things to do, though it is fun to be with God's people. God is not building the church primarily so we get our needs met, though this is the place we do get our needs met. God is building the church to show his glory. God is building the church to show his greatness. God is building the church for his purposes to be worshipped. So go back to verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we just sung about right before the sermon. For the sake of your name, for your unrivaled fame. This is all about God's fame. Now that raises a question for us. If we're the temple, but we're also the priest, how do we worship God? How do we do offerings to God that glorify him? Well, it's not animal sacrifices anymore. Christ was the final sacrifice, and I'm very thankful for that. This would be a very different gathering, right, if we had to do animal sacrifices in here. Those have all pointed to Christ. They're not needed anymore because the sacrificial lamb has come and has died for us as we'll celebrate with communion in a little while. So, but what do we do? How do we give God offerings and sacrifices today? Well, there's so much we could say, but there's just three I want you to see, and there's more that we could say this, but three quick things of how we can together praise God or offerings to God. Number one is we praise God in song. We praise God in song. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. In Hebrews 13, it says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Notice the equating of the sacrifice and our praises to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Friends, Christians are singing people, not because we like concerts, because our personality, but because this is how we praise God, how we give sacrifices to him now as we sing to him. That's why what we do here is not a concert. It's not for you to be entertained. It's not about you liking the, the music that's your favorite. This is about us finding songs that glorify God so we can sing them together as an offering to him. We praise God together. Second of all, we give offerings to God by serving others together, by serving others together. The very next verse in Hebrews 13, he says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When we serve others together as a church, it is an offering to God, a sacrifice to him. It glorifies him. It pleases him. And so when we go to Capitol Heights Middle School and do a Bible study before school, when we serve people in need, when we give benevolence help to the needy here, when we help people in Uganda with clean water, whatever we're doing in the name of Jesus to serve other people, even as we help each other 
We are doing it to the glory of God. This is why Paul says to the people at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, 18, they've sent him an offering. They've sent Paul practical help. He said, if I've received full payment and more, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent. Now, notice how he describes the offering he got from them, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Friends, when we help others in Jesus' name, it is our act of worship to glorify God. So how do we do offerings to the Lord? We praise him together. We serve others together. But number three, we obey God together. We pursue holiness together. We pursue obedience together. We help each other fight sin. We get into each other's lives to pursue holiness together because our obedience glorifies God. See this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So again, notice the sacrifice image. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, what does that mean? Verse 2, he explains, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So we saw last week, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. My friends, there's so much more we can say about what it means to sacrifice to the Lord, but I hope you get the idea that our sacrifices, God, are anything we do to please him, anything we do to serve others, anything we do to praise him, anything that gives glory to him. So who is the architect and the builder? God is. What is he building with? Us together, the church. What is he building? The church. And why is he building it? To glorify himself so that he is praised, so that his name is known, so that his fame increases because he is worthy of it. Last question, number five. How do we grow, how do we grow in our role as priest? How do we grow in our role as priests? Remember, I said here, we are being built up. God is the one doing the building. So what is our role? It's not for us to sit around passively going, hey, I'm the wall of the temple. I'm good here. He has a role for us in this. We're to be the priest. So how do we grow in this if he's the one building? Now, there's, again, a lot we could say, but there's three things in these verses that I believe show us how we can be growing. The first one's in verse 6. Go back to verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, behold. Now, just stop right there. The word behold It's the only command in all these three verses. It's the only imperative. God's doing the building, but there's only one thing that we are commanded to do, and that's this word, behold, look, pay attention to, stop and gaze. He's saying, look at what God is doing. Look at God and himself and his character, and look at what he is doing. And friends, I need this command. This is hard for me and maybe hard for you. We live busy lives. And to take time to stop, to behold, to gaze on the Lord, to understand what he's doing. Now, where do we see what God is doing? You know, it's in the Word. This is where we see the character of God. This is where we see what God is doing in the world. So for us, this command to behold is to stop and to pursue Scripture, to make sure this is the priority for us each and every day. If we want to grow in being a priest before the Lord, if we want to grow in being this spiritual house, this temple, we have to take time individually and collectively to run to Scripture, to behold God for who He is, not who we want Him to be. So the practical question for us, if one of the steps to take to grow is to behold, is, friends, are we beholding God in Scripture? Or other things, are we beholding other things more? Are we beholding more of God or more of our sports? Beholding more of God or more of our social media? More of God or more of our politics or our movies or fill in the blank, whatever it is. Are we taking time to behold God? There's a second way we can grow in our role as a holy priesthood. That's also in verse 6 here. For it stands in Scripture, behold I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and notice this, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, we're going to unpack that more next week, but notice the word believes here. This is 
present tense. So the second way that we grow in our function is we believe, we grow in our belief. We believe and keep on believing. This is not whoever believed at one point or whoever prayed the prayer and said the prayer to God. No, this is whoever is believing and still believing and keeps on believing. So if we want to grow in our role as a temple, in our role as priest of God, we believe and keep on believing. We take time to pray and ask God to grow our faith. This is a calling to us to ask God for more faith, for more belief. So friends, as we look at our prayers, are our prayers focused on asking God for more faith? Or our prayers focus more on our own temporal needs? So behold, believe, but there's one more here of how we can grow. That goes back up to verse four. Notice how verse four begins. As you come to him. We come to God. Now what does that mean? To come to God in scripture means to draw near to him to draw near to him, to hear him speak, to draw near to him, to worship him. And notice how this flows with what we saw last week. Go back to verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him. Friends, if you're in Christ, you came to him in initial faith. You tasted the goodness of God. You experienced the wonders of knowing him. And now it's inviting us to run back to him day by day by day, to have a real relationship with him. Not just to know more about him, but to know him, to fellowship with him, to enjoy his presence. So friends, if we want to grow in our role as priest, as a new temple for God, we come to him day by day by day, longing for that relationship with him. So our question is, are we pursuing a relationship with God each day where we enjoy his presence? So our five questions. Who is the architect and builder? God is. What's he building with? Us corporately believers. What is he building the church? Why is he building it? To glorify himself. And how do we grow in our role? As we come to him daily in a relationship with him, beholding him in scripture, talking to him in prayer, enjoying his presence. Let's bring all of that together. Here's the main idea if you want to summarize this text. God's plan is to unite and build us together. God's plan is to unite us and build us together to glorify him, not one day a week or one hour a week, but with our whole lives. God's plan from before he even created the world was to have a new temple, a church that would glorify him. He had a plan to bring people of different backgrounds together, different walks of life together, to unite them together in Christ so that together we glorify him. Together we make him known. Together he becomes famous as we encourage each other to worship together, as we serve together, as we pursue holiness together, and we help each other run after God to behold him with the goal that every part of our lives, our speech, our thoughts, our actions, all begin to look more and more like Christ, to be those living stones that look like the living stone. This is God's plan for us, to unite and build us together, to glorify him with our whole lives. And that raises a question for us, a challenge for us, and it comes not from this text, but from Psalm 118. Psalm 118, 22 and 23, you'll see similar imagery here. I want you to see Psalm 118, 22. I think we have there. This is the Lord's do. Or go back one. Do you have verse 22, Brad? Okay. Let me get you Psalm 118.22. This is important imagery from what we have. Psalm 118.22. The stone that the, the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Sound familiar? But Peter just quoted here. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The very next verse that flows from that truth. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Let that sink in for just a minute. What the psalmist here says is what we've just talked about this morning as he's looking ahead, longing for all this to come, is marvelous in our eyes. 
So that's my question for you this morning. Is this truth marvelous in your eyes? Is God's plan for you being part of a body of believers as a story much bigger than yourselves, is that marvelous in your eyes? Is God's plan to unite you, not for you to live a solitary life as a monolithic stone by yourself, but to be united with other stones being built by God for his purpose, is that marvelous to you? Is God's plan to glorify himself through you, to make much of him, not to make much of you, but make much of him marvelous to you? Friends, is God's call to behold him day after day, is that marvelous to you? Is God's call to believe and to keep on believing, is it marvelous to you? And it's God's invitation to come to him. Is it marvelous to you? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Friends, that's the question I want you to think about as we come to communion this morning. Is this truth marvelous to you? If so, what is the evidence of it? If this truth really is marvelous to you, are you finding joy in God's presence? Are you finding joy in the church? Are you finding joy in serving him? Are you finding joy in seeing him? Are you finding joy in seeing God working and uniting you together? What is the evidence that's marvelous to you? But friends, if it's not marvelous to you, because we have seasons in all of our lives where this doesn't seem as marvelous to us as other times, what is it that seems more marvelous to you in this plan? Because if we behold God's plan from before time began, we behold God as the architect in the building, we behold these truths that have been laid before us in 1 Peter, how can anything temporal be as marvelous to us as this plan? What is it that perhaps is more marvelous to you than this plan? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Friends, I want that to be the question we reflect as we celebrate communion. What are we doing this morning? Why are we ending with this? Because this is a picture for us of the very things we've talked about. We already saw in verse 4 today that the stone the builders rejected, a picture of Christ's crucifixion, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, he hung on a cross. Why? Not just to be a nice example for us or to show us the love of God. No, he hung on a cross because God is holy and every sin, ha- every sin has to be punished by God. You know, that takes us eternity in hell to deal with the punishment or Christ takes it in a moment on the cross as a perfect sacrifice in our place. So remember that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's now the living stone, that he didn't remain dead. After a sacrifice, he was raised back to life. And so we celebrate this morning how you and I can be made into living stones, that Christ had to die in our place. There's nothing you and I can do to get right with God on our own. There's nothing you and I can do to earn God's forgiveness. We have offended a holy God. We've sinned against a holy God. We sang about that earlier. We have dishonored his name. Our sins have been us shaking our fists saying, God, not your way, but mine. And all of our lives are full of that. We have no hope apart from the mercy of God. So Christ himself came, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law that you and I break every single day. He never broke it once. So we could go to that cross to be the perfect sacrifice, to take the wrath that you and I deserve. So when he cries on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what we should have experienced for all eternity. And he took it in a moment there when our sins were put on him and all of his righteousness was put on us. So we can now boldly approach God as living stones being made into a temple to be a holy priesthood, not because we're holy, but because Christ is holy and his righteousness has been given to us. And so I want us this morning as we come to this to reflect on Christ's sacrifice for our sins. As such, friends, this is only for followers of Christ. In the room this size, there may be some of you who do not know Christ. And what Christ has done is not marvelous to you. Do not even think this is real. 
if that's you, just remain where you're seated. No one's going to embarrass you. not going to find you after the service and embarrass you or try to talk to you. Just stay in your seat and reflect on these truths. But if you are in Christ, if you know that Christ has redeemed you, that he's taken the penalty for your sins, if you know that you're now those living stones that God is aligning to the cornerstone, you are welcome to come celebrate with us, to come get the bread and be reminded that his body was broken for you, to get the juice to be reminded his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. We invite you to come and to worship God with us. And as you use the time of reflection to ask God, is this marvelous to me? And if not, to ask the Holy Spirit to search you and say, God, what is more marvelous to me than who you are and your plans? As he shows you things to confess it to him, as he helps you regain the wonder of how marvelous his plans are, to rejoice in that and to thank him for that and to celebrate what Christ has purchased for you. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, our praise team is going to come get the elements first, and then our ushers will come direct you to so follow their directions. So there will be two lines down the middle. We'll dismiss you to the middle. Come two lines, get the elements Return to your seat. Just take it whenever you're ready. We want you to use time to reflect, to pray, to worship the Lord, and to not be in a hurry as you take communion. If you have dietary needs, there's gluten-free here and in the back of the room. And also, I know some of you in crowds may not be comfortable with receiving the elements up front like this, so there are trays in the back with pre-sealed elements. You're welcome to just go get those if you'd rather take those in your seat where you're seated. You're welcome to do whatever will help you focus on the Lord during this time. So would you pray with me? Father God, we do thank you for your grace. Lord, that just seems so almost trite to say that, Lord, you've given us grace and all we know how to say is thank you. But Lord, we say thank you for it. Thank you that you looked upon us in our sins and Lord, you did not treat us as our sins deserved. You've shown mercy, you've shown grace to us, you've shown forgiveness to us and we thank you for it. And I pray now for myself and these brothers and sisters in Christ as we receive the elements and we reflect that Lord, that you would increase in our hearts seeing what you've done is marvelous. You'd increase in our perspective, seeing your goodness and your grace and your plans and longing to be part of it. Or we can't manufacture those desires. We can't fix our gaze on you. So we ask your Holy Spirit to come do that in our hearts right now. As we worship you for who you are and what you've done, we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Once you're in 
Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Watch your enemy. Now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. As we close today, I want us to read out loud a scripture together. It's a proclamation of what we believe and what we see today. But this one comes from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. So let's read it out loud together. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Father, we pray today that that truth would be marvelous to us. Not just this morning, but as we go throughout this week, that that truth of what you're building in us together would be marvelous to us. So captivate us with your grace all this week, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a great Sunday afternoon.